yeah i mean it, it was a very hard time you know because uh kk then one day came to me and said look i i don't think i can work here anymore uh, it was just a uh until then i was clueless that something like this is going to happen right so it was just uh, uh and he felt that i'd kind of become a bully uh and i had not really and i was shocked when he said that I, I, obviously your first first response to it is defense right i mean you just defending no that's not true how can you say that you also said this all that stuff right so sab hoga right so uh and then uh you know luckily one of uh, venkat was on the board venkat is uh, one of the founders of daksh and he was also our first angel and first board member and he's still a board member so he's really seen the company uh, over the years um he sat me down and said look why didn't you get a coach you're 28 uh it's not like you have i mean how many 28 year olds have 400 member teams and have built businesses so get a coach my guest today is anish reddy the co-founder and ceo of capillary technologies a bangalore headquartered software as a service or saas company that's one of the global leaders in customer loyalty and engagement what that means is that capillary powers the customer loyalty operations of hundreds of companies around the world from companies like dominos puma shell marks and spencers and the tata group to 15 of the world's top fortune 100 companies each time you transact at one of these company stores or respond to a marketing message or upgrade your room it's probably capillary tech at play behind the scenes in its 16th year now anish tells me capillary powers close to 7 billion annual transactions for its customers customers but and there's always a but in great stories capillary and anish didn't have an easy ride they went through multiple economic downturns they raised large venture rounds and expanded globally only to shut down many of those operations after losing millions of dollars of the three co-founders two left one having burnt out and the other because anish was too stressful to work with anish himself wanted to quit but his board wouldn't have it i'm sorry we couldn't release an episode last week i was down with what started as a mild cold but became a moderate sinus infection as you can probably still tell from my voice it's not an excuse as we should ideally have had a backup episode already recorded i know we're working to ensure this doesn't happen again we never want to take your listenership for granted Welcome to First Principles, Anish. I'm glad we're finally meeting, and I've been looking forward to meeting you. You know, thanks for having me here, Owen. Uh, you know, and yeah, I mean, uh, looking forward to it. Great. So, I mean, just before we started recording, uh, you were telling me about the time when you decided to start up. Uh, you, 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 you told yourself that you'd give yourself six months. to figure out if this startup thing works yeah i mean you know i was how 20, did that work out for you i i, I think <laughs> you know i was a 22 23 year old right and uh, and there is this 
urgency of doing everything very quickly uh, at that age and uh, yeah you know so i had to i had sorry i'm i'm going to interrupt you because in our research there's this exact same point came out you come from a family of doctors correct um and yeah. i think um you're the, you're the first one in your family who didn't decide to go uh, and become a doctor instead to do an engineering but one of the research things that came up with us was that your dad i think told you once after 10th or something yeah, that yeah. you were not cut out for to being be a, a doctor because you lacked patience yep yep you know he so that's he, the, that's the same exact thing that you started with yeah he he sat me down in my 10th and said look you need a lot of patience to be a doctor and i think you and it, it was very nice of him right he didn't go the way of saying look uh and yeah when i my brother is a cardiologist now he kind of he kind of started working at 35 and when he got his first real paycheck right i told him hello i can retire now <laughs> i was 32 then you know i was joking with him i don't think i would have had the patience to last you know that long at least uh, when i was a 22 year old those fantastic advice from your dad then right yeah, like yeah, terrific advice not many parents like you know tell you about career choices from the point of view of patience yep yep no i, I think that was one call that he definitely took right for me you know and So so coming back to when you were 22 23 and you'd spent what two years at ITC in your first job yeah it was about two years in um and uh ITC is a great place you learn a lot uh i joined through this management training thing uh and uh, but i think the question of you know how what am what i am doing and how does it impact the larger uh picture was missing right so which is where i there was this uh and you know between kk and me kk was my co-founder at capillary and maybe it started the cell so there was uh, the entrepreneurship cell back at iit kharagpur in our third year on campus so there was this this uh, this itch to do something on our own right uh, and uh, yeah two years and we both felt uh, he was in microsoft research and his criminal life was he had this pyramid of patents that he had got but uh but nothing he wrote would ever get checked into like actual code right so or product or mm-hmm. product right so uh so so both of us met and we said yeah i think it's time to you know like and we both were probably that generation which didn't need to send money back home like unlike a lot of my friends who probably still needed to send some money back home and couldn't take the risks you know for both of us it was like ha huh, like the the opportunity cost of messing up 6 months or a year of your life was not really that much how do you come across that concept of 6 months that it would take 6 months you know i think it was just very uh, you know back when we were in in, in college uh, right so uh, there were many things that the two of us or anant who also was at capillary with me had fixed in 6 months so there was just this mental model of saying give us 6 months and we will get it right right so and, and of course when you're on campus you know sm- things are probably much smaller in scale uh, but it was that i think and uh, it was also of course it was convincing my own parents uh, yeah because you had um, uh, a call from mit to do your masters which you declined before you went before to, i got into so right, it was a so very orthodox unorthodox choice of choosing an itc over an mit call uh, and then leaving itc so so i'm guessing from your dad's parents point of view you essentially declined mit to join itc and they kind of made peace with it and then you're leaving itc which is a fairly well known organization in india mm-hmm. to do something completely unknown 
by yourself, right? Like, did yeah. you tell them what you're going to do? You know, interestingly, it was 2008, right? Starting up wasn't cool at all, right? So uh, I, I told them that, look, luckily for us, we went back to the same entrepreneurship cell and we got a 15 lakh seed loan uh, to start for which we gave IIT about 4% of the company. But I told them, look, we have enough money to start, right? So and give us six months, we'll figure in six months that this is what uh, we want to do. It's it's also very hard to explain to your doctor parents what do you do as a technology firm. Right? It's it's a little bit of a so uh, I, and I think back then we were trying to do this uh, deals thing. It was called deal deal hunt, uh, yes. where essentially you would uh, uh, we were in Calcutta then. So on an SMS number, if you message saying you want to buy jeans, we'd send you all of those group buying. Not group buying as no. much. But like, which are the best offers that you can get? Got it. And some of those offers could also have been group offers, right? So it was really playing on that. But uh, yeah, but of course, we do something very different now uh, from that. Yeah. So, all right. Um, coming back to Capillary, uh, some of the larger organizations among the many that you work with, Domino's, Tata Group, Puma, Shell, Marks and Spencer, would it be fair to say Capillary offers software products and services that help brands stay in touch with their customers and get those customers to spend more over their lifetime with them. Is that a fair way to describe capillary? Yeah, I think that's a fair way. Uh, I think... How would you describe it like slightly more expansively? I think over the years, we've kind of narrowed down on what we do. I think uh, uh, we initially started off in the customer engagement type space. I think over the last four or five years, we've realized that being the best in one thing is better than trying to do a few things, right? So we've kind of narrowed down on saying we'll we'll do loyalty very well, right? So which is your membership, subscriptions, uh, your, you know, hotel or airline miles programs, things like that. So I think today, I'd say 90% plus of the business is very loyalty focused. And uh, that focus has helped us as well, because today we work with 15 of the Fortune 100, although you not everyone allows you to tell their names out. Uh, so some of those that you see there are folks who have given us permissions. Uh, so that focus has helped. So if you if you ask me what we help do today is create loyalty between brands and consumers. Right, hmm. so in, in, in one line. Yeah. Uh, one of the th factoids that came up in our research was that your tech reaches over a billion customers and clocks over 5 billion transactions annually. What do these numbers mean? A billion customers and 5 billion transactions. You know, so uh, a transaction is uh, a, a consumer buying something in a store or online or booking a ticket or, you know, any of that, right? So uh, so, so today the platform does about, uh, does about 5 billion plus transactions in a year. It's a little bit more now. I think it's like 7 billion now. But uh, so so each transaction is, uh, is basically one purchase, right? Uh, and... Uh, you know, we've, I mean, we've grown over the years. Uh, so we have multiple customers who each have 100 million consumers on their platform, uh, right? So together, it's about a billion billion unique users, more or less across the world now, right? So, yeah. You said a while ago that it wasn't fashionable to start up in 2008. It was definitely not fas fashionable to start a SaaS business in 2008. Do you have you ever perhaps thought of the fact that you know what would things have been like if you were not early? Because sometimes there is this thing of uh, 
are you a little early to the space have you ever thought about the fact whether you were early to the space you know i think we didn't start a saas saas business right so i think uh the way we started was uh we said look uh, we started more like investors than like founders to be honest so we Whose said money were you investing and into what no no we were investing <laughs> our time uh, but the idea was we, we didn't start off with this big business idea of what we wanted to uh do we were just two years out of college it was not like we had a lot of experience to say this is what we want to do right so we we said we started the investor way in the sense of picking two sunrise sectors and let's said let's say do something in between them and then as those sectors grow you will grow with it right so and uh, as cliche as this sounds we actually read a bunch of mckinsey reports and it said india retail is happening the mobile story is big so we said let's do something between mobile and retail right so and we kind of bounced into saas more than anything else because we once we zero in on the sectors we said let's speak to everyone we know in the retail space and in the in the mobile space and ask them you know to kids from iit we can build good tech tell us what you want us to right so and to our luck uh uh you know the lehman crash the financial recession happened the, you know and a lot of people we were speaking to would tell us that look our customers aren't coming back to stores you know and my co-founder krishna had this thing that uh until you really got someone to pay for it he wouldn't write a line of code right because he was brilliant at uh, uh like the joke in campus used to be that he can code faster than you could type right so uh, and he knew that if we just got him to start building stuff then we would abuse that superpower of his right so so we had to get someone to pay for it and this was a recession uh and the initial customers who we pitched to uh uh trying to solve this customer engagement uh kind of a problem would come back to us and say look we can't buy any big software from you it's a recession we can't buy servers so can you you know we have these marketing agencies who uh charges monthly can you charge us monthly and you know this is fine with us so that's how we kind of took space on aws because they didn't want to buy uh servers that's how we said okay we'll charge you a monthly per store model so we really bounced into saas as a model not till rajan came on the board which was probably 2010 or 2011 rajan anandan uh you know microsoft google and sequoia right so uh that we realized that okay there's a model for this it's called saas you know in fact our first conversation with rajan was saying we want to change the name of the company from capillary technologies to capillary marketing services and he stated it as and he was like what's wrong with you guys <laughs> marketing services companies traded one times revenue you guys are a technology firm and then he sat us down and said no 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 <laughs> this is <laughs> stick to stick to the name and just stick to what you're doing right so yeah so we we bounced into saas really we didn't we didn't start off saying this is a saas company yeah just to be clear you chose the space mm-hmm. based on your research not on any you know personally felt or observed like you know lacuna or need yeah it was on research in fact in fact uh, our initial attempt was we we spoke to i don't know like we didn't write a line of code for the first 6 months you know we started august of uh, 2008 Uh, a month before even tanked i think our first line of code was probably really only i mean we did try some random stuff out here and there uh, but on this product our first line of code was only in like jan feb and that was only after 3 4 5 customers told us that this is a problem for them 
So the idea was again not to do if someone told you that this is a problem for me, it's a unique problem to them. Then you're building a services company, right? So we we spoke to like many people and figured, yeah, this seems to be a recurring problem for X number of people, and then said, let's let's build. Of course, with the benefit of hindsight, that's great. But back then, when you were starting out, you know, you felt that six months is a good time to be able to validate the business that you're in, and then six months later, you haven't written. probably a line of code a few lines of code but at that point what were you feeling hey 6 months is up and we haven't even started doing anything did you i mean so i think it was very different right because what we what happened was uh, so we started in fact the day the, the inception day for capillary was probably january 19th of 2008 it was kk's birthday and both of us got drunk and then we were both cribbing about our our respective jobs which i think is very common and then we zero in saying i think we should do something now right so we we had that 7 8 month uh, lead time so we did speak to a lot of people read stuff etc etc right so uh, but what happened was look our first customer was uh, indus league which was part of future group we knew our second customer was going to be madra madra garments because they kind of like the problem that uh, we were discussing a third was indian terrain so you although we didn't write a line of code we were at a place where we knew ki look if the largest in the market are saying this is a problem for them then you probably you know uncovered some stuff right and and there was comfort in at least my head uh, that kk could code anything up in 2 3 days you know our, our first version of the product really came out in like 2 or 3 days i was between him and a bunch of interns we had at uh, IIT Kharagpur and we had hired uh, some of these interns from you know Dhirubhai Mani DICT has the 6 months internship program so we had got a couple of them over you know and yeah the first version of the product was out in like 3 days you know so uh, yeah. how does capillary make money you know so we 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 uh, we uh, it's a software as a service model we charge uh, customers for uh running their loyalty uh platform for them uh that's uh 90% plus of our business probably just stick to that uh for uh it's a usage based model so you charge for every 100000 consumers you have on the platform it's an annual uh recurring fee uh the we have again we have narrowed down the business over the last 3 4 5 years in terms of scope uh but the good piece is uh you know i think we have 60 customers who pay us approximately a million each and the rest uh is more like a long tail so it's it's a significantly large enterprise uh focus play like uh like best of brands you know a shell or a tata or a nestle uh so that's that's the business model right so it's it's mostly uh, a fixed fee plus as you breach the slabs you pay us more right so yeah. all right uh you're in your 16th year this year yep. as a company how many employees are there at capillary i think we are uh, we are about 700 full time and another couple of hundred on contract right so that and, and and do you disclose your revenue i mean like uh you know we are a, yeah. we are a, we filed to be a public company yes in 2021 december right so if you go on to our our our, 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 our website yeah we actually stuck with that so our last annual report is also on our website which is the 23 uh, so so then you can definitely quote from that yeah, if it's public yeah but we've grown significantly since <laughs> right so so what was the number in the last report 
Uh, we were at about 39 million. All right. For the but last you just effort. said 60 customers pay you a million each, so that yeah, itself translates. Significantly grown All since right. then. So. All right. Yeah. And how much venture funding have you raised till date? That's another story altogether. So we raised <laughs> a lot of money. Uh, about 110 million has gone into building the business. Uh, right. So that's primary. That's gone into. Uh, thankfully, a lot of that is still in the bank. Uh, but uh, uh, we've also done a lot of secondaries, right? So uh, thankfully, there's been a lot of interest in the stock. So we've also had about 170, 180 million of secondaries. Got it. You know, so and and uh, what was your last valuation? Is that something that you disclose? Let's keep that private All for right. now. All right. Yeah. Hi. Thank you for listening to First Principles. I am Anushka, and I produced this episode that you're listening to. My colleague Rajiv, a resident sound engineer, put it together. I just need a minute of your time. So I am a podcast producer at the Ken, but one of the things on my weekly roster is actually completely non-podcast related. I help put together the First Principles newsletter as well. Now, if you haven't already subscribed to it, it's a free weekly newsletter from the Ken. And you're listening to the First Principles podcast, so I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that the First Principles newsletter is for you, because every Sunday it drops into your inbox with one mental model that applies the First Principles lens to your work and life. For instance, in our last edition of the newsletter, we spoke about the significance of occasionally thinking about longer term, let's say 10 to 20 year journeys. why modern life and professional settings often force us to think and plan in the short term but how that prevents us from course correcting our longer career and life arcs also you get book recommendations wonderful photographs interesting links and even music recommendations and all of these are from the first principles community there's a link in the show notes that leads you straight to this edition also by the way I edit the book section of the newsletter and I'm just going to take this opportunity to say that if you have any book recommendations any favorites that you think the first principles community folks like you would love please send them to me you'll find a link in the show notes for that as well thank you back to rohan now how many co-founders you started with two co-founders You know, KK and I started uh, back then. Our our first pr- and KK was brilliant at tech. I am a half decent sales guy, right? So and and we really needed someone who was really very good at ops, right? Running the place type stuff. Uh, so at that point in time, you know, Anant was now my co-founder and has been with us for a better half of thirteen, fourteen years, uh, right? So we asked him that, look, will you join us? Uh, and the starting up in india was not cool then played and he was a png nice job great company he said look not right now right so so ajay joined us instead ajay and uh, anant were extremely close friends and ajay said look i'll do it right so so ajay joined another founder uh, then of course uh, both uh, kk and ajay moved on in uh, 2013 14 uh, 6 7 years into the firm and uh, I've been very lucky to have good folks stay with me for a very long time, right? So, uh, so today in Camplary, I have Anand and Sridhar as co-founders. Uh, both of them joined us in 2010. Uh, you know, uh, and although you know, I've been told many times that being a founder is a lonely journey and some of that stuff. Uh, thankfully, I've been blessed to have great people around me, right? So we've had uh, 
I don't know, we'll probably sometime this year hit 100 people spending more than 10 years with us. Oh, so, that's fantastic. Congratulations. So 100 out of 700 is not something to be scoffed at. I mean, of the 100, probably 60 still are with us. You know, 40 might have spent 10 and then moved on. But it's still a, a, a large yeah. number of folks who... Uh, so I feel, I feel you know, the company has had many founders, right? So it's, you know, I just happened to be the guy who started it, but... That's uh, very philosophical. We'll cover some of this in the later part of our conversations. Uh, you, we, we talked about the IPO. You'd file for an IPO in December 2021. Uh, yet last year, I mean, obviously you haven't IPO'd yet. And last year you raised, uh, what, $45 million um, funding round as well. So are you still doing your IPO? You know, I think uh, sometime in, uh, you know, we, we started in uh, 2008, right? When the unicorns and the billion dollars were not what inspired founders, right? Uh, I think what inspired us was this chat we had with Arjun Malhotra, who's one of the founders at HCL. And he had come to give the first talk for the ESL. You know, it was when we met the guy, we, we were like, you know, I have to do in life, mein, right? So... So what inspired us was companies like Infi, a HCL, a Wipro. Large multinational organizations writing software. I think uh, people-driven companies which had good culture, hmm. right? So, uh, and Infi, of course, was the was the bellwether, whatever you want to call it, right? So, uh, and and Infi in that sense has also spawned a, a whole set of smaller public companies which went on services, etc. Right? So. So there was this ambition, I think, in, in you know, ours is, Girish puts this very well, Girish of Freshworks, that, you know, you you dream in installments. So ours is also, I think, a story of dreaming in installments. Sometime in 2012, 13 or 10, sometime in that that time frame, you know, we said, look, we want to build a company like Infi, you know, something which is uh, products in, in from India. Uh, because one thing we did face when we were... Uh, in the early years was people would just tell us, look, you can't build a product company out of India, right? And we were on top of that selling to India also, right? So they were like dead on arrival was typically how people Building would, from India and selling, and selling to, to, India. to India or Asia, right? So so I think we had heard so many no's and still the company was doing quite well. That There was somewhere this arrogance or this thing in the head key, you know, you have to build a, a public SaaS company out of India selling to Asia, right? So... Uh, so we will definitely go public. I think it's it's part of, uh, I think uh, uh, it's it's part of building a... Uh, it's one of your dream installments. Yeah, it's one of the dream installments, not only for me, but for many people in the company. Right. So, uh, but I think, yeah, of course, last year, uh, you know, I think we filed and then the markets just tanked after that. Uh, thankfully for us, the business was doing well. So we were able to raise uh, a Series D, uh, 45 million, uh, we haven't disclosed, but there's another 95 million of secondaries that's happened after that. So significant, large uh, round through last year. So uh, there isn't as much urgency to go public. Uh, we, in fact, ran our roadshows as well. Unlike a lot of folks who just filed and didn't, uh, we were at an EBITDA break-even, so people felt that you might still be able to list in a bad market. So so we did spend three, four months. We met like 50 investors, US, India, Singapore. Uh, and, and I think it was good to understand where they come from, right? So so we definitely list, but I think the what we what we realize is I think listing when you're at probably 10% free cash, I think means the stock is going to be a lot more stable. Uh, and so I think the goal for us is that, that let's get to a 10% a free cash in the business. 
uh, along with of course a rule of 40 and some of that also playing what's the rule of 40 in in a in a saas business globally you look at growth and free cash uh, right so if growth plus free cash is more than 40 you typically tend to be in the top 5% of of companies in your space right so uh, i mean it's a it's a fairly used dictum for most uh, software companies uh, growth plus free cash all right you mentioned an interesting concept um, which you attributed to girish is dreaming in installments how would you look back at the last 15 years of capillary and possibly break it up into let's say 3 or 4 or 5 installments that you dreamt of or like i'm essentially trying to get you to trace back the evolution of capillary into maybe 3 or 4 or 5 steps major steps to where it is today what would that be what right. were those installments that's a good question let me do three installments all right uh, right so the first installment i think was uh was the first five years right which was really 8 to 12 or 8 to 13 uh where um i think we 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 started up uh and we zeroed in on this problem so we knew our customers loved that problem that if we solved it we would make money but everyone else felt this was a bad problem to solve because we were building software for india and we were building software products in india right so uh so we didn't have the love of vcs initially at least right our our first venture funding only happened in 2012 and uh, so everyone we went to would tell us the same thing that india doesn't pay for software right so in fact the number of vcs who tried to convert us to being a consumer company because we would have all this customer data with us right so was not small right so uh so the first five years was really just going out and proving that you could do this uh and it was it was amazing because we just had because we were solving a real problem we had insane momentum in terms of customer success right so we went from 0 to 1000 stores in the first 18 months i think we got to 5000 stores in uh, so when you say stores you mean like the the boss machines on those stores are running capillary software correct correct you know we initially started with retail <coughs> although today retail is only half our half our business uh and um, yeah so uh, i think we were amongst the earliest to get to a million in arr 2 million in arr uh and it was it was it was crazy you were growing at like a unbelievable pace uh uh i would probably be taking i don't know like uh for the first 4 years of capillary I actually didn't pay rent anywhere. You know because I would be traveling so much and you know we were just two years out of college so I would just go crash at uh at IIT friends houses. And uh, so it was like that, right? It was just crazy. We were just growing, 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 growing. So the first five years was just that, right? So uh, I think building out uh, the business saying you can actually build something like this. Uh and then when we finally I think when we opened Singapore and the Middle East is when people then realize that yeah i think this is real <laughs> so that's the next uh, uh yeah i think around 2012 13 probably is is when we uh ended up raising our till then we were a very frugal uh we got a 2 million of arr with about a million dollars raised between 17 different angels you know so it was a i mean your it was like table was interesting it was, it was fine. That was fine yeah. they were great people you know so i think they folks like rajan harminder uh venkat uh you know they've they've stayed along they haven't sold even mm. after the, after 15 years uh many of them doubled down in covid when you know the company was going through a bad phase uh so yeah it, w- it was great angels in that sense um uh, so the first five years was that right uh 
and then in 2012 uh, we opened singapore and malaysia singapore malaysia and i think uh, dubai that's when we started getting a lot of vc interest i think then folks by then realized that look this is not just an india problem they're solving and and luckily for us the way we expanded out was also our customers in india taking us to these markets outside a puma pizza hut saying look the same problem works for us even in a singapore can you solve it for there right so and uh, uh once we did that i think the the massive series a we raised about 16 million 4 million in secondaries 12 in primaries uh this was 2012 uh and i think the next 5 years i would say were really the which if i'm not mistaken was one of the largest or the largest series in that time. for them yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know and there was just so much competition between the investors that we we didn't know we could take taking a secondary as a founder back then was like criminal i don't even remember we suddenly had both of them sitting down and saying why don't you take some money on the table <laughs> right so it was funny we uh, we did a 4 and a half million dollar secondary each of us took half a million dollars out which was a lot of money back mm. then and we created a million dollar esop pool for employees to sell uh, and then we also got all our angels and exit at least half a third of whatever they had invested was out a uh, lot of money right so we were at this point in time we were burning 5 lakhs a month as a business uh, I, i still remember the numbers we were burning 5 lakhs a month the business was doing 1.3 crores a month in revenues uh and i think we were at this interesting crossover of saying do we switch over to being profitable or do we raise money burn more to grow more you know and i think and you know someone i mean it was great vcs as well right uh sequoia and norwest uh and we obviously chose this this side you know i think the uh the next 5 years i think are are really the uh, from i'd say 13 to 18 were really the very confused years of capillary you know i think we had a lot of money uh, the excesses as well yeah yeah i th- i think the excesses as well uh, right so it was both of us were 27 28 uh till then we were really a business that was built on constraints right so uh and uh, and we would be extremely coordinated as the, the team and all that stuff but once you see so much money you know i think we we just we we, we spread really too thin mm. uh, we went from i think just doing we we had in, india was a good business we had singapore where we had about 10% of our revenue was coming from singapore and then we had one guy in dubai mm. right so uh, from there over the next 12 18 months we opened offices in an australia hong kong uh, south africa uk uh, us uh, and it was still the same talent pool right so you really stretched people you move people everywhere you broke everyone it, it was a mess right so uh once you've raised money uh you know and you have a certain valuation now you also have this this unfortunate pressure of having to grow it and you know to all that stuff right and, to justify yeah. it grow it etc uh and the fact is look i think uh in hindsight i think what people told us that you can't build a large saas business out of india is true right so it's just that we didn't see it then you know getting to a, a 20 million i think is easy in an initial business getting to 100 is going to be very hard it's just the nature of nature of the market and stuff right so we won't built for that kind of growth as well so you really needed to reinvent uh the company hmm. which we didn't realize all the way till 2018 19 that you know i think what got you here is definitely not going to get you 
to where you want to go right so we so those those i'd say 13 to 18 were really uh uh years which were uh we did a lot of stuff we opened a lot of markets we then shut a lot of markets then we said okay let's just do asia uh we were at that point we were still slightly large enterprise focused right madhura the uh future groups and stuff then said let's do smb and mid market uh we said if it's going to be asia then you need multiple products you know to build a large company so we went and bought an e-commerce platform play e-commerce was going, was going through the roof at that point in time if you remember so the company called marjack um uh bad buy right so mistakes you know so uh uh it was just uh, it, it wasn't a great product uh the product wasn't good and in a product business so, no so i i i hear you anish um i mean i'm sorry to interrupt um uh, all of this you said traced back to raising a large round doing the secondary and suddenly the constraints are gone right right the world is your oyster and like i see multiple threads running here one is of course the constraints are gone second you've got this great valuation which most people think is the reward but actually it's the other way around valuations is something which 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 is a reward for something which you're supposed to achieve in the future so in many ways it puts you on a much different path so so constraints are gone at the same time you need to justify these significant valuations and of course you're all what 27 year olds 28 year olds yeah. with half a million dollars in the bank and like you know i mean let's do it right so what would you do differently today in that phase is there anything you could have done differently really or is this some was it just a natural evolution that you perhaps needed to go through in order to really realize um what you guys were good at i think hindsight is 2020 right so uh uh i think i i definitely do things differently we have a lot of money in the bank right now uh Uh, but we aren't making those mistakes again i, I think what constraints you know capital is of course a constraint but it's also talent which we kind of didn't didn't realize at that point uh in time uh, right so also you know some of these dictums which people i i think now are very inherent we raised money at 14 times revenue back then you know and and it was really start of the boom cycle in some senses 14 times revenue is unheard of stuff even in saas it's like very rare to was very rare to come by back then of course 2021 is like a joke when you yeah. talk about that but uh i think a few things right so one is uh uh um just gi- just given that you have money doesn't mean you go to everything that's an opportunity out there right? so we now very strictly sit down and say look uh you put a size of price for everything you then measure it down saying Uh, i mean we 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 work with extra 10x in 2020 and then realize that this is the right way to think of what you want to build rather than if there's an opportunity you just go out and do it right which uh like we opened all these tiny tiny markets which could never be more than 3 4 5 million ever for you right like hong kong or or some of those right so um the second thing i would say is i think although you have the opportunity to raise money at like crazy valuations i think let's not do that right so the fact of life is beyond the first 100 crores of money in life 100 also i'm like i think 30 or 20 crores is probably the number that money is not going to significantly change the quality of your life right so all this 
this paper valuation you have or this it's really not going to like improve the quality of your of your life and i think it can definitely screw your happiness as well <laughs> <laughs> and right? what so, and what was your third i think this this was your second um dream installment so what happened after this after the excesses till what 2013 from 2013 to 2018, 2018 was all of this yeah. right so we uh, we were still growing right <laughs> so we we opened a lot of markets the core was doing very well right india southeast asia and middle east that core was doing well so although we had opened many markets and we went from burning 5 lakhs a month to burning you know 12 million dollars in the next 18 months uh you know we we were suddenly at this place where we were burning a million and a half a month but the business had also scaled to like had tripled in that 18 24 months so you were still a good company right so you still ended up raising another another uh, 13 14 15 million uh, at that point in time by then of course the kk and ajay had decided to move on so we uh, you know so it was uh, it was i think that was the first time that reality hit me a little bit saying look i think you messed up a bit uh, over the last we'll come back to this uh, that yeah. was a stressful period for you yeah. and for capillary as well yeah and then we raised another 45 from uh, from warburg right this was 20 uh, 2015 right uh, and warburg was willing to bet on this uh, multi product story from india uh, for india right so it was largely they funded the uh, acquisition of marjack uh, and then we also did this thing of saying if you can't win in the us let's win in china because genuinely told those are the two uh you know i would say Massive large markets. markets right large single language contiguous type markets right so so we opened china we bought an e-commerce company we also wanted to do smb uh so this was 20, this was 2015 i we had not learned our lesson of of doing too many things by then I think the next 3 4 years was we blew up all the money we raised. Uh, I think it was 2018 19 uh, we got to about 30 million Asian revenues 29 to be exact. Uh growth had stalled. We were growing at like 20% uh year on year. Uh it was a very broken business. Right? There was a loyalty side, there was a campaigns business, there was a uh e-commerce business, there was SMB, there was China, there was like it was just spread. uh i mean you having so many things it's just very hard to get so many things to move at the same pace right or uh, to focus on exactly. what to exactly grow and we were we also then uh got in some talent from the outside uh, uh we've lucky to have had good talent coming from the outside all through right uh, but we were again back to burning 2 million right so back to burning uh 2 million a month uh this time i think uh I I think you know it was just when you're growing at 20% no one's going to give you a lot of money right so you had to get your act together so 2019 to now I I think is the third is really the third uh, phase where we had to sit down and say look I think okay we built this somehow but let's figure what's it going to take to get to uh, like really being a sustainable public large company right so uh so that meant uh, a lot of redoing what we did right we like uh, i'd say from 30 uh, you know the we shut a lot of businesses we shut our commerce business we shut china we shut mid market uh, so from 30 i think we came down to about 17 18 million and then from there we've grown about four times now right so that's been the last got to the maturing from, of 
capillary in. I mean, yeah. I see a, I mean, the analogy to a, to perhaps a human being, like, you know, you were born, like, you know, the initial years were the toddler years where you were trying to figure out and then you had like, you know, the teenage and the youth where like, you know, <laughs> you guys went all the excesses and the partying and all of that and like still didn't learn your lessons in your early 20s. And then towards your mid twenties to end twenties or maybe thirties, you're like, look, guys, we gotta need to settle down and yeah, you've got your yeah, act together. Yeah. Fantastic stuff. Um, you said, I mean, and and you're absolutely right that um, SaaS businesses from India um, weren't popular. In fact, many of the SaaS businesses, and I think you've said this in the past as well, where. Um, the kind of SaaS business that were there in India, whether it's Zoho or Freshworks, um, etc., operated on a lower cost of ownership or a transaction size. And But something's changed, of course, right? There's folks like you, there's um, Amagi, uh, there's BrowserStack, etc. And and you said that, like, you know, you've got 60-plus companies paying you a million dollars each. So that million-dollar single-client barrier seems to have been breached now, which is one of the things people didn't think could happen from India, right? You're building a SaaS product from India. Sure, you can operate at the lower to mid-lower end of the market, SMB space, etc. But nobody's going to pay you a million dollars. What changed? What what caused this? You know, I think uh, um, a few things, right? So I, I think uh, uh, I would say, look, most of the money in software has been made in the large enterprise space. I mean, it's out there to be, uh, I mean, like if you look at most of the large large software companies have all built with money from large customers, right? So, uh, uh, and and I think a, a lot of us realized that a little late, uh, probably. Uh, the What's also changed is, I think if you're selling to large enterprises, the, the thing that really is important is risk. For a large enterprise, whether they pay you a million or a million and a half doesn't really matter to them, right? This is a $5 billion plus revenue play. I think what matters to them is if you got in and then you mess something up, right? So risk ends up becoming a very large part of uh, what's happened over the last three, four, five years, if you ask me is, you know, all of us have figured a way of getting one large enterprise customer or two large enterprise customers in some way and then getting into a forester. So cutting that risk element down. So earlier, if like there's this... Uh, uh, there was this, you know, when we opened UK in 2012, right? There's this event called Retail Week. And events were about half our lead funnel, right? I would go pick cards, call them up the next day. And uh, I was at this uh, uh, Retail Week thing, standing at the edge of the stage. So when the guy walks down from after giving his talk or panel, I would pick cards from them and then call them the next day, right? So I go to this guy and this guy looks at me and says, uh, I say I'm from Bangalore. Without even hearing the rest, he says, look, sorry, we don't outsource to outsourced uh, services to India. And he walks away. Right? So uh, compared to now, right, when a lot of these folks are probably using an Indian software product somewhere, know that this works really well, right? And is probably better implemented than your US counterpart, you know, because we can implement better. That's anyway the core part of like the services DNA in India is about implementation. It's right? probably leaner because it's younger code, nimbler code. Exactly. As opposed, yeah. Like, uh, you know, cutting edge. Then all your analysts also say that now, right? So if you look at a Forrester or a Gartner, a lot of the waves or the quadrants are headed by Indian companies now. Like the loyalty wave is headed by us. Watfix heads the 
डिजिटल अडोप्शन में मैनी एग्जाम्पल्स आई कैन राइट सो सो वॉट्स हैपन्ड इज आई थिंक फॉर दैट सी आई ओ और फॉर दैट सी एम ओ सिटिंग देर दे नो दैट देर इज अ न्यूअर ब्रीड ऑफ बेटर ईजियर टू यूज न्यूअर जनरेशन सॉफ्टवेयर फार मोर फ्लेक्सीबल बोथ पीपल वाइज एंड कॉन्ट्रैक्ट वाइज दैन यू एस कंपनीज वुड बी यू नो सो so this this entire thing of gartner and forrester this reminds me of this there used to be this adage right when in the heydays of ibm uh there used to be this adage called you never get fired for choosing ibm absolutely this just sounds like another version of that you'd never get fired for choosing someone who's in a gartner quadrant or on a forrester chart yeah absolutely in in fact the way it works is you know we got into till till 2021 we would not pay forrester or gartner a dollar Why we were like, look, why would you pay anyone, right? So, uh, in 2020, we got an advisor in the US uh, uh, when we were starting thinking of opening the US business, and he said, look, nothing doing. I mean, like, if you really want to build a business here, you'll have to put some money here. We said, okay, fifty thousand dollars, six months or something. We said, okay, let's sign up for part time with with Forrester, right? So, uh, and we ended up being a leader on the wave uh, earlier this year. and it took our pipelines up by 6 7 times incredible because what happens is if you're a large enterprise procurement team or a cxo and you want to do something new or want to you want to change something that you're doing today you're going to call up a forester guy or you're going to download that wave report and say send it to the top 5 folks so if you're not in that consideration of the top 5 uh. however good your product is you you're not even going to get a seat at the table right so I I think that's changing. In fact, which is where I am personally very excited about software products and SaaS from India because I think we've finally got into large enterprise now. You know, till now it was largely an SMB play, right? Which is traditionally not been where most of the dollars have been made, right? So I think that large enterprise thing is happening now, right? So yeah. all right, I want to switch to uh, I think the time you, during your excess years. Where you lost both of your um, two co-founders, um, what happened? I mean, I'm sure it must have been a stressful time for you as well. And take yeah, us through I that. Mean, you know, I, I think we we spread ourselves extremely thin, uh, right? So I think what happened is KK had moved to the US. I was looking at Southeast Asia and Middle East. Uh, Ajay was running India and. Uh, Until then, we were all we would actually all stay in the same house till that point in time, till twenty twelve. Uh, it was a house in BTM, and uh, it was two minutes walk to another bungalow, which was our office, right? So uh, were you all unmarried? Yeah, yeah, we were all. We I think we all got married in quick succession of like two two months, <laughs> right? So and um, uh, and yeah, so we uh, raised a lot of money. We got married. We had this nice secondary. so each of us also had now bought big cars nice houses all that stuff uh and um and given you had money for the first time there was also a lot of there was always ambition but there was also now money to support that ambition right so uh kk moved to the us he he always wanted to move to the valley uh so he moved there uh and suddenly what was a very coordinated team i think kind of kind of broke into this you know and if you're in the valley and if you have a co-founder in the valley god bless you because you know it's exactly 12 hours away the east coast i think is 
still so much better because you get an extra 3 hour coverage but otherwise one of you is going to be groggy on that call very late in the night <laughs> right so I, i think uh yeah we you know there was also this part in me where uh, i think the money had got to both our heads in a lot of senses you know until then we were this this company where you know the the best uh, whoever had the best idea would win right so it was it was very merit than saying you know is anish saying it or is kk saying it or is someone else saying it right so but i think with that money also came this this uh, uh, this pride of saying you know we know what we're doing right to an extent uh, and i think uh, and the company scaled like crazy we were about 100 100 people probably uh, 100 something on that uh, we scaled to 400 in about 18 months right so you just went berserk uh, you hired people from everywhere good people uh, uh, what also happens is i think when you're hiring senior folks right if you don't really assimilate them well they will naturally build a silo and that's what ended up happening in the company right so we had these five six big silos engineering professional services hr etc etc and we had three co-founders who were all in different parts of the world <laughs> right so uh, as a net result i don't think like uh, I, i think even my behavior would then end up being taking rash calls like saying look we don't have the time to this right so very bully like like behavior right so uh, i think kk at least at least half of it he left for the fact that i think i was not workable with him at that point in time ajay i think it was a different story ajay burnt out right it's very hard to build a business in india right and he had used the use he used the guy who was shouldering it at that point in time and he had he had taken all the load on to himself and let kk and me move out to greener pastures right so and i think he just kind of we still based out of india when you were looking i, at I was the... based out of bangalore I, i mean i think i'd moved to singapore for a year you know i, I couldn't fully finish the move i got an ep <coughs> and then had moved but then we we decided to come back right so uh so that meant yeah i mean it, it was a very hard time you know because uh kk then one day came to me and said look i i don't think i can work here anymore uh, it was just a uh until then i was clueless that something like this is going to happen right so it was just uh, uh and he felt that i kind of become a bully uh and i had not really and i was shocked when he said that I, i obviously your first first response to it is defense right I mean, you just defending. No, that's not true. How can you say that? You also said this. All that stuff, right? Oh, some hoga, right? So, uh, and then, uh, you know, luckily one of uh, Venkat was on the board. Venkat is uh, one of the founders of Daksh, and he was also our first angel and first board member, and he's still a board member. So he's really seen the company uh, over the years. Um, he sat me down and said, "Look, why didn't you get a coach? I mean, twenty-eight. Uh, it's not like you have." I mean, how many twenty-eight year olds have four hundred member teams and have built businesses? So, can a coach? Sorry, uh, I'm going to stop you here because we'll get into this later in the second part of the conversation. But like, you know, from here, I wanted to ask you, while we're still talking about like work and culture, etc., and stuff like that, I read somewhere that what roughly a third of the people at Capillary are those who've left and come back. Yeah, is that true? I mean, that's an amazing statistic. Yeah, how we have a lot of folks that? who go and come back. How do you, you know, manage so. that? How do you consciously manage that? Do you have an official program 
that encourages or is this just serendipitous people it's applying serendipitous. we've never done i mean other than one or two roles where i mean there's no program there might be one or two roles where you are looking for someone and then you might just call up someone from the past and say look this role is available but, no, but it's okay. not like there so is so you a, do have a thing i mean the reason i ask is especially in startups especially in startups that have gone through extremely stressful growth phases and stuff like that often when people leave it's doors that are shut forever right mm. but the fact that they're coming back means those doors weren't shut forever so and and i mean roughly a third of your people coming back means they left and are either coming back on their own or you're calling them back which is which is actually very rare so which is why i was asking you is it conscious like how do you do it how did you get to it did you just get to it without aiming for it i think most of it was serendipity you know a, a lot of it uh you know i think it was till till 2020 right till before covid our annual attrition was 5% you know 5% annual attrition right i like in bangalore i think you can have companies which have 5% monthly attrition right so so i, I think it was always uh, and which the way, would be an understatement actually that's so, sorry <laughs> 5% monthly attrition also would be an understatement for many companies <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah so so i i think what happened with us was you know we were uh, <clears throat> it was kind of like we built out of a col- col- college dorm in some senses you know so so the culture was always very strong right and uh, luckily for us we started in a recession so we got some great people to join us initially uh, at reasonable costs and they grew up into being great leaders as well right so uh, so so your work in camplery was generally good the culture was decent other than probably that 2013 type type time frame uh and and so the reason most people left uh were one of two right was uh either you burnt out and there's something we realized in in 2013 14 that burnout is real right like i told you ajay burnt out piyush was a uh, who used to head engineering for us he burnt out uh, and so we had this program where uh every four years you get a month off right to it's, it's like a sabbatical fully paid go like uh, so we did put in some of those places to make people not burn out we very consciously look at we force people to take holidays in the firm right so you will definitely have at least 3 4 times in a year mails going out saying you have to finish your quota of holidays right now right so things like that and in general that meant people knew that you know uh, that this is a this is a place where you'll be treated well which unfortunately hasn't been the case with most startups in you know in india right i mean it's just been very messy in that sense uh the second reason was salaries we've always had you know we are not the best pay masters in the market we always had this philosophy of saying we'll we'll keep it at 70% of the market because our belief has been that good culture and good work would mean you will need to get a 50 60% hike to jump now that really happened in covid right so which is why even we came to the 30% attrition in in the years of covid uh but a lot of these folks go out and realize that look money is not everything in life right it's not like we were paying them less or they couldn't have a a good quality of life so we had many people who have come back uh, you know saying look i think forget the money i, I like the place so i'll be back right so, so it's these two reasons why people leave right so uh bringing employees back is tricky especially on the, i mean just just sticking with the salary bit because especially people who've gone for a higher salary they 
the expectation is that most of us hate to get like a salary cut in our careers right but you're saying many people have been all right taking a salary cut to come back because the quality of work and the culture matters as well i wouldn't say a salary cut but when you come back in year and a half or two years later you're not got asking it, for a equal hike. Hike. got it you're not asking for a hike so let's say you went out at 30 got it you would have probably got of 10 15 each year here right you come back you're pretty much at at similar levels right the expectation then is not that you give me another 30 on top right so yeah but yeah taking a salary cut and all is <laughs> is yeah is, is is very hard right so yeah because in my experience i think that but you see some of that now huh. by the way oh i mean that's desperation yeah, yeah. right I, i think it's desperation i also think it's I think people also now somewhere have internalized that you know if I got a fifty sixty percent hike in twenty twenty, it was not sustainable. Twenty twenty one, then it was not real. That's true. That's yeah. true. So your attrition ranged from five percent in your best days to what thirty percent in your worst days. Yeah, twenty one, twenty two was was at thirty, which was unbelievable uh, because I mean you know this thirty. We know that. I mean, we do a lot of exit interviews to figure, you know, all that stuff, right? So we knew that if do exit interviews. What's your secret to making exit interviews work? Because they're one of the hardest things to get. Because people who are leaving an organization are not exactly sure whether they should be telling the truth while leaving, or what is the incentive to tell the truth. And similarly, the people who are interviewing them during the exit interview. are not exactly incentivized to always capture the real truth and transmit it back within the organization what's your secret for making great exit interviews i think uh, look uh, i do believe that hr is to be run by the founders or the team more than just hr right so usually a lot of our exit interviews happen after the employee has left and not before right and they're usually a month or two uh, or three where i or someone you know who's really worked closely in the leadership would go take the person out for a a drink uh, and the idea there is also to ask them the questions of what are you liking about the other company right also to understand are there processes in the other company which we can implement here right so it's not just a so the intention is truly to figure out because you've given time for them to settle down for them to be able to spot the differences etc and and the as opposed to most exit interviews where it's a checklist process correct you know and and it's it's very non agenda you're taking a friend out for uh drinks after 3 months it's, it's so this is exactly i mean like i asked you earlier are you consciously doing things that make people come want to come back to the organization i would assume this is one of those things because But, if you left an organization and 3 months later the founder or someone senior took you out um for I a don't coffee it's like it's not like hr is chasing me up saying take this guy out no no but i'm saying you know, that so it helps no it helps it, but it, i think it's i'm saying it's part of the dna it's not a checklist of course of course yeah. i was not implying that it's uh, by conscious i did not mean checklist in fact if anything is the opposite of a checklist because most often checklist processes are not conscious processes they are just checklist processes Right. But this is very interesting. Um, let me switch to a slightly different question about careers. Given all the ups and downs in your own career as an entrepreneur and leader, what is your advice to people on finding careers and succeeding at them? And it's a very broad question, but still, you know, I think um, 
uh, it, it, it's, a, it's actually a very relevant question. You know, I've had many people call me up, good friends in the last uh, six months to a year saying, look, I'm in this job. I'm not very kicked or happy about it, but it pays really well. Right. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, on careers, at least this is the way I've always thought about it is, uh, you know, you don't need a lot of money to be happy in life. Right. I mean, and there is never enough money to satisfy all your greeds. Your greeds is just a, a greed after the greed after the greed. Right. I mean, it's never going to be enough. And I hence feel, you know, that uh, build your career around happiness, build your career around what gives you uh, what makes you happy and what keeps you happy. Like if your day to day role, which is probably 12 hours of your day or 10 hours of your day, uh, if you're not happy about what you're doing there and just living for a comp or something, I don't think it's going to leave you happy eventually. And thankfully, we're all in a stage today where any job you take, you will get enough money to live a happy life, right? Uh, so, yeah, so career advice for me is very simple. Do what keeps you happy, right? So, and, so. and I mean, that's, that's uh, simultaneously very sensible, but also very hard to implement, right? Do what keeps you happy. What What is that like? You know, is there, could you go one level deeper into what does that mean? Because those people who called you up, uh, you know, your friends, I'm assuming, typical midlife, uh, this thing, right? You've essentially reached a level where it's the version of golden handcuffs, right? Mm. You can't like, so you have to pick between this significant amount of money that you're making versus something else, which you call happiness. But I'm saying that's harder. It's abstract. It's not. So at that stage, what is happiness? So let, let's put it this way, right? I think, uh, if you're spending 12 hours of your day working, uh, uh, if you're not happy in your work, hard to be happy elsewhere. Right? That's so, true. Uh, and what makes you happy at work? Let's answer this question, right? So I think it's largely two things, right? So one is quality of work, that you know that it is good intellectually stimulating, uh, stimulating work. Uh, for some, it might be, I mean, depending on who you are, for some, it might be you're learning something, right? I mean, there are people who are always stuck with this thing saying, if I'm learning, <coughs> then I'm, 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 there are other people for whom it's just, are you managing enough? Some of that, but I'm not, I'm not saying either is right or wrong, but quality of work is the first one. The second is quality of people around you, right? So are you having to, in a job, constantly look for your back? Is it an organization where there's a, I mean, you want to be great at politics, but who wants to do politics, right? I mean, like, it's just that, right? So. I feel I feel these two, right? So, so if you're six months into a and today, you know, for every startup, you call five people up, you will know what the culture in that place is, political, apolitical, what is it? You you get to know, right? So, so at least my advice to a lot of folks has been that look, it's okay if you're getting a twenty percent lower salary somewhere or a thirty percent lower salary somewhere else, which is enough to maintain your lifestyle, uh, then go for it, yeah. I mean, you'll be happier there. It seems like you've you like the people, you like the culture in that place a lot more than this other uh, place where they're trying to, you know, uh, it's a burning train. They're like trying to hire right. people at expensive numbers, right? So, yeah. What do you add most value to Capillary as CEO? That's a good question. I think I, uh, um, what do I, I help things around here. You know, so it's it's not like, I think I'm generally the guy who gets pulled in when something is breaking. So uh, I help things around mostly. 
so it's not like uh, and i okay i mean say it's not you someone else like why couldn't they help around why is it that you as anish are able to do this most effectively uh that's a actually that's a good question so i don't know i think uh um mm by help things around i mean uh mm let me think through this a little bit um can others help for sure yes right so uh i do think um in general uh i've been regarded in capillary as this guy you can go to any time we're a very flat org uh and when when people open up and ask uh, that they're struggling with this they're struggling with that i think it's easier as a founder to make a couple of calls and de bottleneck something for people not that it happens all the time but uh, but you know i've seen some sometimes some of that work all right, right? So, i'll flip this question round right huh. say i took away anish from capillary what right. would capillary miss the most um that's a good question i think it'll i think it'll miss the culture will be hit a little bit for sure mm. right so uh, right so i think we we've traditionally been even in our worst times when we really had like no money in the bank i think our culture has been a culture of care right so when covid when we had no option but to uh, you know cut the joke going around in the company was people who are leaving are being taken care of better than people who are staying you know so and i actually and on all hands said yes that is the case <laughs> but but you know so i think that part will go right i think the 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 part of the uh, the culture of care i think will uh, miss a little bit uh, the second is of course this uh, um you know uh, i think i think this this drive to uh, we've taken some fairly long term calls especially on technology etc which you wouldn't take if you were trying to build just a profitable machine right so i think some of those would miss but other than that i think it'll be a great company you know i i every time i go on a vipassana break for 10 days or whatever i think when i come back the company is running better so i i don't think the company would miss me much beyond these two that's a that's an evolutionary leap for a founder right because typically when you start an organization you drive a great deal of pride in how central you are to the organization how mm. your you know your sleeves rolled up you're involved in everything that's happening and people are coming to you and that gives you validation to at some point it becomes the exact mirror opposite of that which is people are not coming to you everything is working as is you go away for 10 days and things are as good or perhaps even better when you come back and that gives you pride right, right. when when did that switch happen for you and did you even consciously realize that switch happened between the two right where you're central to the organization and you know the other thing where you've built right. an organization which doesn't really require you and which is great no i agree you know so i think uh, it happened accidentally to me uh, it definitely didn't happen uh, intentionally i think i was uh, so you know i think 2016 17 was the first time avinash puranj sasbhumi now he had suggested that i should do avipassana right and i had booked but then i didn't go saying 10 then 10 days yeah, it's like I mean, too much kya 
by the time i finally went right this was feb 2020 february uh just before covid thankfully uh i was just mentally in such a bad place you know i i had this thing playing at the back of my head saying i have uh, this is uh, i was 35 midlife crisis probably but uh saying the thought in my head constantly would be that i've messed capillary up right that i think we were in a great place in 2012 then the last 5 6 years it, you know i took a lot of brash decisions lost two co-founders raised a ton of money blew it all up did all kinds of random stuff uh you know random stuff as in random experiments right so and uh, so i was just mentally in this place where uh, i was totally like uh uh you could call it a burnout but uh then a, f- a very close friend actually you know we we were meeting for our 35th birthday at goa and uh, and i said something to the tune of uh, you know i think life is going to be all downhill from here like personally professionally etc and this guy uh, looked at me and was like look what's wrong right you know so you've done well you seem to be doing well uh, like like why do you feel that way and then he had done a vipassana some 2 3 years earlier and he the someone i trust with my life almost right so he said look nothing doing you have to uh, like figure 10 days and go and uh, so i went for the 10 days and then i came back i like you know i think my mind was 80% more freer than when i went in uh, basically because 80% of the slot was this 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 negative th- loop of saying you messed this up right you messed a good company up you messed uh this up was i think the loop that was just playing in my head right so so when i came back i realized that in those 10 12 days the thing ran well and i also realized the importance of you needing to take time off yourself to actually you know like i think every year when I, when i look back now i think most years in capillary were about 6 7 big decisions you took it's not about as the ceo or the founder i think it's typically 6 7 big decisions which determine 80% of the value add or 80% of the value destruction that you're going to do this year right so and if you don't have that mind space to sit down and take those big calls you know you will eventually crumble right so so now actually we uh, we have this thing in capillary where all anyone in the company can take a 10 day vipassana or a 10 day retreat over and above your uh, over and above your 20 day or your pto right uh, How many have you done since 2020? I've done one in a year. So I've done one in a year. Uh, and more You're than half are... You're married now? Do you have a, do yeah, you have a kid? Yeah, yeah. Two How kids. How do you manage to find the time? I mean, I understand finding time from the organization. But those 10 days could potentially be family vacation days. How has it been for you and a conversation with your wife on that? You know, but that's the piece, right? So I've basically said that, look, this 10 days is beyond the 20 days of PTO. right i mean you get 20 days from the company to take a vacation so that's still there i'm saying this 10 days is over and about it no but i'm not right? talking so, about the company i'm talking about family yeah from the family side also they know that this is the company giving me time more mm-hmm. than you know the second piece is of course that look i've always been this traveling sales guy in a sense right so uh, i think the way we've structured our family around also is quality of time more than quantity of time so like every month we do a, a a long weekend out right so we've like and bangalore is a beautiful place for that like we do uh one trip a year with both sides parents so we and then we do one trip without the parents right so it's it's kind of 
so you are taking in any in any year 12 vacations at least right so we've it, it's so i think yeah so so both 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 my kids also know that quality is more important than quantity in terms of time